Are you feeling stressed out as a mama, especially if you have toddlers at home? This episode is going to be so reassuring for you, but stay tuned right to the end because Mandy is sharing some really amazing insights about play with your toddlers. So stay tuned, mama, and enjoy. Hello, I'm Alex Tricolo. I'm a mum of three toddlers aged one, two, and three, and I'm a very passionate speech pathologist. I've helped countless children to learn their first words and speak more clearly, but most of all, I've given parents like you the peace of mind that their children are on the right path and that they have the tools to help them at home. I'm a very calm, positive person, and since becoming a mum, I have sought out information, research, and techniques that allow me to be firm and yet positive with my own kids, and mostly to feel more confident when I make decisions as a mama. But hey, I'm not positive every day. We do have our days, and there'll be a good dose of reality thrown into every episode. So, I have a little motto. If you don't know something, mama, learn. And that's what I'm delivering with this podcast. Information from other passionate mums who know the research and techniques of their field inside and out and can share that with you. Because to be honest, who has time to do the research themselves? And we all know Dr. Google is not your friend unless you know the right questions. Welcome to the Mama Learn podcast. Hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss an episode. This podcast is brought to you by my Club Trick membership, my super affordable membership program for mamas that gives you all the tips, strategies, vocab, and activities to develop your baby's first 100 words and beyond. I have a very special deal just for you, my beautiful podcast listeners. Hop on over to www.alextricolo.com love to get your first month free in the club. Okay, mamas, today we are learning about play and child development. I've been following Mandy for a while now. Her business is Raise Early Years. I love her calm, positive, yet super practical approaches to play and parenting. She is one of those phenomenal people with quite a few qualifications under her belt. She kind of epitomizes the Mama Learn podcast mentality because when she wants to know something, she learns it. I'm going to let her tell you a bit more about herself. So let's welcome her. Hi, Mandy. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Alex. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast today. No, I was just saying to Mandy before the show that I'm a little nervous because this is my first interview that I'm doing for the podcast. And I've got a bit of that terrible imposter syndrome, but here I am biting the bullet and I'm really excited. So let's get straight into it. Mandy, tell us a bit about you and your background. 
Well, firstly, I feel really honoured being the first guest. I think it's great <laughs> that we can stumble through this together. So my background, um, really basically from as far back as I can remember, um, I just remember wanting to be around little children, children younger than me. And I remember my mum always saying, oh, she's always just going to nurture the little ones. And I just had this real passion to be around young children. And <clears throat> that sort of led me to when it came to graduating and deciding what I would do, it was going to be either teaching or nursing because I wanted to work with, you know, parents and children. And so I went into teaching and I decided to train as an early childhood educator. And so that sort of led me down a path of teaching for about 10 years, predominantly in the kindy pre-primary age group. And I absolutely loved that. And then once I had my first little baby, which was, a major learning curve as, as such. <laughs> I am um, actually around her 10 month age decided to do my master's in parent and um, family functioning and it sort of was a really interesting degree to go ahead and do while I was actually in that parenting uh, phase myself. So lots of the units covered things like child rearing practices across generations and covered family functioning across cultures. It also covered things like the way we perceive children and how we perceive them as then how we sort of interact with them. So I found that really fascinating and it really caused me to deeply think about what my beliefs were around children and parenting and things like that. And so that's sort of snowballed and I've, I've continued to just want to learn more. I really got more and more fascinated about how children develop and the different phases that they go through. And that sort of led me now to be offered to do a PhD in respectful parenting approaches and specifically looking at how the way we go about parenting impacts not only the parents' confidence and stress, but also the child outcomes. Mm -hmm. So it's really constant learning, I guess. And then being a mum myself, so I've got my oldest daughter and I've just had a, I've got a second daughter and I'm about to have a third daughter. So I've got lots of <laughs> um, on the ground you know, comparing the literature I might read to what happens on a daily basis in our own family as well. So it's, it's really fascinating and I absolutely love working with, with parents and children in this early phases of development. So yeah, it's been a good journey so far and I look forward to where it's going to go. Yeah, I love that because I, I sort of found the same thing in when I had my kids that I reflected back on what I'd learned at university around early child development and all of the experiences I've had with kids and um, seeing it actually play out day to day and not missing any of those little developmental milestones is pretty amazing. Yeah, it is really incredible, actually. Yeah. And is your PhD ongoing at the moment? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that is just the reality of also juggling you know, what you believe about family life and children and making time for investing in that yourself. And so that really sometimes looks like part-time, sometimes looks like half part-time. <laughs> so it sort of fluctuates a bit. And I guess that also goes hand in hand with the nature of the type of clinical trial we're doing that it's, you know, around other families as well. So yeah, yeah. and you get it, you understand what goes yeah, into Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So if we go a little bit more into your business, um, I want to talk a bit about your philosophy and what inspired you to start your business. 
Yeah, sure. So I guess first that that history of being a teacher for one, mm. I just found that period quite interesting. I was obviously quite young, fresh out of uni, didn't have children of my own. And I found it quite fascinating having parents come and ask me loads of questions about their child's behaviour and about different scenarios from home and even watching how I would describe their child in the classroom with me. And then this huge comparison to how the parent would perceive their child would be at home. And I sort of started to find it really interesting and question around, I guess, so many of the challenges parents were facing in the early years. So I was really intrigued by that. So that mm. I kept that in the back of my mind. And then, as I said, becoming a mum myself, I think I, I kept, I guess, asking those same questions um, around, oh, what is my role here? What is her behaviour telling me? How do I perceive that? And, and I guess we also, as parents, draw from how we were parented ourselves. So all these things started to come together. And in the midst of that, I think also just really learning so much more about the value of the early years of development and how much <clears throat> that impacts on later life. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many studies now that show us even pain in adulthood can be linked back to the early years. So <clears throat> that parent-child relationship and that, yeah, how significant the early years were is, I guess, what inspired me to, I guess, want to better that stage of life. And, and sometimes it's also something that you hear people talking about surviving or just getting past this, you know, terrible early stage and, you know, things like that. And I sort of thought, well... I, I, I didn't want to just survive it and I just thought there's got to be ways that we can enjoy this and also ways that we can <clears throat> make it be beneficial for both the parents and the children. Mm. So I guess that was my inspiration. Um, and then just all the sort of study that I did do started to help me to sort of piece together the gaps or ways I could benefit parents and little ones in the stage using my background, using the background of early development and play and how we can promote the child to uh, have a, a great time at home with their mamas and, and dads as their first teachers. Um, and then combined with that, how parents can actually enjoy that phase and trying to navigate how quickly their children grow and develop and how many things they've got to adapt to and decide, what do I do in this scenario? So yeah, it's definitely been also inspired by my own experience with parenting my first daughter and all the questions I asked myself. And really now that I work with parents across the board, you start to see how many of the families are asking the same questions. Mm -hmm. It's not like you get very different scenarios being presented to me on a weekly basis. They'll be very, very similar. And that also gives me the confidence that we're all going through it. That we're all going through very similar things. And, it's, and when one family's in isolation, they might think, oh, what are we doing wrong or what's abnormal in our family? But it's actually very normal. So that's yeah. often even the confidence parents hear in that. They go, oh, gosh, thank goodness. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't have a business if everybody wasn't asking those same questions over and over. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I must say, um, it keeps me on my toes and keeps me fresh, to be honest, because often I'll just be going through something. I'm very honest with parents. I don't really like to come across as this expert who has it all together because I'm also navigating the same waters with my children, but sometimes something will come up about sibling relationships and I'll, um, you know, go back to the research and go back to how children develop and share some scenarios and it'll actually refresh me into how I can perceive something that's been going on in our household. And so in a way I feel like it's quite beneficial mm -hmm. in my parent mm -hmm. role too. 
I love that. And I, I feel like sometimes we have a little advantage when we have the access to the research and the data that can tell us more about that. Because I do the same thing when I want to know more and it might be slightly outside the realm of speech pathology, but I just need to know more. <laughs> um, yeah, it does help, doesn't it? Yeah, we're lucky. Um, and one thing I really associate with you is the value of simplicity. Is that yeah, absolutely. really important to you? <laughs> amazing. And, and, and really, it, it's, it's amazing how much more and more, because we've got so much knowledge at our fingertips, sometimes I think we can overcomplicate things. Mm. And sometimes it is the stripping back and the coming back to basics that can actually sort of ground you as the parent and bring sort of more of a level of peace um, in the family unit as well. So that is definitely one of the main keys I go th um, through. And something that has happened with our family during COVID-19 is that we just had to simplify because we were just home so much more. We stopped doing so many different activities and now we're coming out of it and we kind of want to keep that simplicity. Are you finding other families saying the same thing? Yeah, it's true. It's actually interesting that you say that. And I think uh, there certainly have been a lot, a lot of lessons through the COVID-19 period and, mm. uh, you know, even in stripping back and figuring out what your priorities are and what's important mm. to you as a family. And I think a lot of people have renegotiated values. And, yes, yeah, certainly there are, um, as much as you would imagine people, you know, there's benefits to sort of getting back into groups and different things like that and having those connections in the early years with mm. play groups and stuff like that. But you, you, I am starting to notice parents maybe asking themselves questions about, do we need to go back to everything, you know? Because mm. certainly slowing down the pace of life is so beneficial to early childhood. That's just the way they, they do thrive on that. So mm. um, a lot of parents found, yeah, that the children just were calmer, not maybe even having so, so much in the timetable. Makes sense. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, we both know that parents and ourselves, we often have so many stresses in our lives. Um, and what do you find comes up as the number one stress and some tips that you could share? Yeah, sure. I was thinking about this actually, because I think there's lots of arguments around like different generations, or maybe it was easier in the past, you know, now, you know, a lot of families have double, um, you know, both parents working and different things and, and there's lots of discussion around maybe because we're juggling so much, maybe it's harder. But I was really looking through even the different things, like I said, past parenting trends that I studied. Mm -hmm. And what one uh, stressor that seems to reoccur in every generation is actually sort of more this sense of pressure, parent pressure. Mm -hmm. There's pressure to sort of perform as a parent or raise good citizens or well-behaved children or be good parents, you know, whatever that even <laughs> is, and raise good kids sort of thing. Uh, that sort of seems to be this overarching pressure that actually tends to cause all the other small problems, mm. I find. So um, when you look into the research, actually, this, um, this concept actually been studied and it's been, it's been referred to as the parent agenda. So it's sort of like the subtle... Uh, thing that's driving the internal parent to sort of, I guess, need to get it right. Mm -hmm. And so by studying this sort of uh, in the psychological research, when they've looked at the parent-child relationship, they've actually found that this major parent agenda drive to sort of be a good parent and raise good kids actually is the source of conflict in the relationship with parents and children. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, and you can sort of imagine why. So if you imagine this parent agenda uh, is sort of, I guess, trying to train and teach lessons and build morals and build skills, sometimes if that's really dominant, it actually can sort of not give the child room to just grow as a child, mm. especially in the early years. So they give quite a few examples of how sometimes if a guest came over to your home and you know you poured them a glass of wine and they accidentally spilled the glass of wine, the way we respond to a guest is quite gracious. We'd sort of be like, oh, do you need a serviette? Do you need a cloth? Can I wipe that up for you? Can I pour you another glass of wine? Mm. Whereas sometimes if you relate that same scenario back to our little ones, like we've poured a glass of water or poured an orange juice and they knock it over, it sort of straight away goes to a lesson. Like you need to watch what you're doing. You, can, you know, be careful, mm. you know, you've tipped that over. And, and I think because we want them to learn from that mistake, they, they talk about the parent agenda being that, sort of where we may be less gracious and less modelling how we would want them to respond. And so the concept coming through in research is really that if we do want to raise good, good citizens, the main predictor of a child who's going to turn out well-rounded is if they can self-regulate. Mm. And so they're sort of more encouraging us to come from a, an approach where we model what, what we wish to teach and we model self-regulation and we model sort of the treatment to our children of what we would want them to then do you know, later on. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of see how different that is, um, the two different ways of approaching a scenario. So I find that, that if we can sometimes get to the core of that parent agenda and what's, you know, often even if I get a call from a parent, <clears throat> they're worried and they're wanting the best for their child. So it's often coming from a really good place. But because it's sort of causing so much stress in the parent, it's re then really affecting the way that they relate to the little ones. Mm -hmm. And so if we can untangle that from the, the main source of that agenda, usually most of the conflict and stuff can resolve itself and the child can just have room to grow and develop because they are just new to earth and they do need some space um, to just unfold in their natural development. So, yeah, it's a really interesting one when you read into it. Yeah, and... That actually just sums up exactly what I almost do every day. I get so many questions from parents and it, the question is always, this is the problem my child is having. What activities and lessons can I do at home? So they're really proactive, which is awesome. But exactly. I almost always say, I don't have any lessons or activities for you. It's more about what are you doing and um, yes. how are you speaking to your children and uh, and how are they speaking because they are copying you essentially and it's amazing isn't it and mm -hmm. it's that feedback loop between parent and child that's so strong that it, like you say and you know that large percentage of it comes back to reflecting back on the parenting role and and like, and like we both agree it's coming from such a beautiful place and I think that's mm -hmm. exactly where I learned with our first child uh, sometimes it's even the most determined and loving parents who are trying to do the absolute best that can almost come yeah trip you over and trip them over a little bit so it's mm. sort of taking a step back and seeing you know where that feedback loop is and how we can maybe put something in place to to stop that cycle when there has become a re reoccurring issue I love that especially because like you say it's generational so we can almost um to some degree take away some of that blame of social media and and the comparison sort of stuff that's happening because it's been happening all along whether we had social media or not 
Well, that's the thing. I think this has come from that internal um, pressure on ourselves. I mean, sure, absolutely that internal pressure. Sometimes, like, as you know, if you're in a scenario out and about and someone's watching you, you can feel that pressure much more when mm. you feel like, what do they expect me to do in this scenario? Mm-hmm. And there is something amazing that can really support parents' stress when you can start to... Uh, be grounded from within with your philosophy of what you believe about children and what you believe about your role to then try your best to let those sorts of looks or expectations be like water for ducks back, but it's not that easy. And certainly I'm sure every, every society and every culture and every generation's had different expectations from the society and look because we, we also immerse in so much knowledge. I do think uh, the excess amount of knowledge we have can maybe also cause parents to be judging themselves I think based on Mm. I don't know what they think they should have done better or trying harder and yeah and certainly if that pressure's on the parent that's going to translate to the child they pick up on that absolutely yeah yeah in in fact one interesting thing I really found even in the research we did a, a, a preliminary pilot study for sharing some principles of of promoting that parent-child relationship Mm. is just that even if a parent's confidence levels, usually because of pressure and stress, although the child will pick up on that. So even if you're confident and you're confidently doing maybe something that's not right, your child still feels secure, more secure with the parent's Mm. confidence than they do if you're sort of, I mean, an Aryan and not really 100% sure what you know direction to go and I found that quite interesting and I think we as parents do often need some praise ourselves and a boost of confidence in what we're doing from somewhere or someone yeah yeah absolutely Um, and that's the thing half the time is even when I'm working with families is just just from the beginning you know often they sort of beautiful families as well I find who are seeking out help usually just are doing such an amazing job anyways you know and just sometimes just hearing from the start um yeah that's amazing like that's great you're on the right track all that sort of stuff you know or they're so lucky to have you look how proactive you are that sort of thing because sometimes I think we can just be quite down on ourselves Mm, yeah absolutely so at what stage do you find parents are really asking questions about their child's behaviour or their parenting? So I find number like absolutely without a doubt, it's as the t- child's entering toddlerhood. Mm. And this was similar for me. I'm not sure if you found this for yourself, mm-hmm. but I found um, that it was just a, a time where uh, I think if you think about it and as you look at what happens for children in different phases is uh, in infancy, children are so new to the family and the whole role of that period is to build trust and to build, uh, yeah, just those bonds. And I find that that's uh, so, yeah, it's so intimate and um, you're responding to the baby and things like that. And then once sort of it seems to be a lot of parents who say, oh, it just seems like overnight they just felt like they were pushing back or, you know, it wasn't so much about connection and, and responsiveness but almost about yeah willfulness and things mm-hmm. like that sometimes depending on the nature of the child sometimes it's very obvious and sometimes it's a little bit more subtle and I'm sure having three children yourself you found <laughs> just a difference depending on the nature of the child mm-hmm. 
but it's because it's such a different phase for toddlers and I think what I would love to see more and more out there in the parenting world is a little bit more of understanding about toddlers being shared because I do think as early parents we got a lot of information about responsive care and infancy and things like that but there's such a big shift for toddlers in their development and then there's sometimes this mismatch between still bringing what was great in infancy trying to bring it into the toddler Mm. relationship and I find that that's where parents start to ask questions like what are we doing wrong or um yeah we're not we're not on the same page it feels like it sort of feels like they're on different pages and when you can at least try and unpack what's happening for the toddler that can really help parents navigate that a little bit more easily Mm. and I definitely work like that I like to understand what's going on in their brain and why you know why are these behaviors occurring because then i feel a bit yes like i might be able to make my own decisions about how to deal with it rather than getting yes if that makes sense well that's the thing and i'm a big a big fan of instead of tricks and tips and tactics I believe in, because I keep coming back to the fact that it's a relationship, mm. any relationship, if you gain more understanding about the person you're in a relationship with, your relationship's going to get better. Your communication's going to get better because you can understand, you know, what they're going through. Whereas if you just got a trick or a tip of how to sort of manage your husband, I don't think it works <laughs> quite as well as if you know, he's actually stressed at work at the moment. This burden's on his back. Mm. But, you know, I'm going to be aware of those things. And then that's the sort of coming from this place of empathy really connecting to them. And the thing about toddlerhood, the reason I think it makes it so tricky and it's such a big transition is because it literally is the phase where they are starting to realise they're not a part of their parents anymore, that they are their own person Mm. and that will is growing and emerging. And that's where I think uh, that's a really positive thing and the pushback is actually very, very good sign Mm. that they're growing and developing just as they should and so if we could see that with a totally different perspective and with different expectations we won't be trying to you know keep them in a straight line but actually sort of acknowledging oh yes you're letting me know really strongly that this is what you want like and coming from a place of empathy you know you really know that you're yourself now Mm. Um, but there's still ways to guide them and be their leaders in that time but I do see a lot even out and about still of um yeah, it's interesting because their psychosocial phase is autonomy. They learn to either feel competent and autonomous mm-hmm. or they, or there's a sense of shame. And what we see out there with this parent agenda still a lot is trying to sort of enforce sharing or enforce manners or enforce all these things that in toddlerhood they're just really growing and expressing themselves. And so, yeah, it's just a really interesting phase I find. It's my favourite phase of development because of how interesting it is. Mm. And also it's the phase where I feel like we like felt like we were drowning with our firstborn. And the more we learned, the more we realised, oh, she doesn't, she's not out to get us. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't personal. Mm -hmm. This is really positive, you know. So I think it really can make a difference with how much you enjoy toddlerhood um, mm. and how, yeah, how you navigate toddlerhood can make a real big difference also on that ongoing relationship because a lot of those loops, I think, are formed in this period. Yeah, because so I, yeah. have, I have three very different toddlers, so mine are three, two and one. And Wow, that's amazing. I'd love to come <laughs> visit your house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it depends on the day. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
But my three-year-old, I, I always say to people, it's like she tricked me into thinking that it was really easy because she's a rule follower and she's a dobber <laughs> and um, she just just likes to stay in her lane and um, she's calm and kind. And, and please, and, I keep you guys yes. so please you and things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my second daughter just came out of nowhere and... I, we, we were just completely overwhelmed because she is so feisty, even from birth, like literally came out feisty. And, um, and she challenges my eldest daughter just so much. And, um, and obviously we get lots of clashes, but they, yeah. trying to work out that they have different needs because they are really different people. Well, that's the thing, isn't um, is it? it? It's sort of like layers. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think that's like these layers of, okay, developmentally, this was what happens, but then each of them have their own personalities as well mm-hmm. and their own temperaments. And this is where I think, like we said in the beginning, you talk about simplicity. A lot of the work I do with parents, it's not about saying, oh, you know, these are the five steps, steps to a successful day with your kids. It's more about mm-hmm. stepping back, observing, observing how you relate to that child observing how that child relates to the other child like it's so much about just having to study them as individuals Mm. so I remember struggling in my first uh you know first time being a parent reading books and sort of trying to apply what was sort of standards to this individual and I think there's great concepts but I really like to work on principles as opposed to exact things because I do think every child is so different yeah and you've just also touched on that every day is so different because you could do exactly the same thing the next day and have a completely different outcome well that's the thing isn't it yeah it's so true so yeah if you're trying to um yeah get a bit of a system where everything's gonna you know I've got this rule set it's yeah get ready for the fact that that's just normal that that doesn't work yeah (laughs) predicting that they're going to break the rules (laughs) yeah exactly i hope you're enjoying this episode i'm just quickly interrupting to share with you that i hang out on instagram a lot like a lot a lot and i share as much free information as i can from my perspective as a speech pathologist and I will even answer your questions in my DMs. So if you've got a quick speech or language question, let me help you get peace of mind and pop into my DMs. Mama, learn something new just by following me. My handle is simply at Alex Tricolo. Now there's a part of your business that I really love um, and I love play myself because play is such an important part of speech pathology. And I, in my experience as a speech pathologist, have mostly worked with children who have difficulty developing their play skills and using their play skills to learn in terms of um, interaction with others and even playing on their own and independent play. And then having my own kids, then I have these typically developing children who are really different to kids that I've worked with before Um, and I've learned even more about play and playful learning and I was really passionate about from the beginning with my kids that I would not be teaching them things that I would just offer them opportunities and play yeah absolutely Um, and one thing I'm really in love with is your 
um, toy sort and set service. So yes. I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about that and what kind of difference it can make for families. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny. This particular service, it's been so popular and it makes such a practical difference in homes. And I feel like it almost is the starting point to the unfolding of all these other things I've been talking about where parents start to realise, oh, my role can look slightly different. Um, and I think it must just be a perception that comes through in society where this, this active parent role that sometimes we're even so active and overly active in, even in play which is a positive thing obviously from birth we want to connect with our babies and things like that but there has become such an emphasis on playing with your little one that actually I'm starting to notice more and more that children aren't given much room to even just spend some time in their own mind even as an infant looking out a window or just be given some room um, and like you said before sometimes it's the parent then playing with them and then going straight to an activity where they're, you know, entertained, I guess, or guided through a particular thing. And then obviously the introduction more and more of these days of screen time fairly early on and very active toys as well from like a lot of stores selling, you know, educational products, I guess, they're marketed as that sing, dance, have numbers, letters, all these things. And what we're finding more and more is that the sort of natural pattern of children's urge to play is sort of getting interrupted, I guess. And so this particular service just emerged from a blog I wrote about things I guess I've absorbed from, I, I used to run a uh, Montessori style play group where Montessori is a huge inspiration in my world about how she believed the environment was like basically an educator in itself mm. and the way the environment is set. And then when you look at the research and you read different articles, they've uh, studied about how toddlers play with say four objects as opposed to 16 objects um, and how different their play became based on how the environment was set up sort of wrote a blog around that and just had people asking questions more and more that we started to offer with a team of early childhood educators to come in and set their first environment in a way that would benefit the child but without really realizing how much it was going to benefit the family unit and how much it was going to change the way the child could actually be self-led and inspired to play a little bit more by themselves. So it's made a really big difference um, in just, yeah, I guess the family rhythms, which is great. But I guess similar to what you said, our goal is to inspire the type of play that is so beneficial to children. Like it's not just a uh, luxury to play, it's a necessity for children. It's even talking about toddlerhood, if a child can play, a child can soothe their inner world when they're going through quite a big development like toddlerhood, mm. or they can make sense of the world around them, or if they're introducing a new baby to the family, often toddlers will nurture themselves therapeutically by playing out those scenarios. So if the child's become really used to uh, sort of being like, mommy do it, or really reliant upon playing, being played for, it can interrupt so many parts of the development. And as you say, even if play skills are something that were difficult when there's speech difficulties, there's got to be a correlation there. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And when we look at speech and language development, we know that kids learn best from seeing something happen and the language being attached to that action and that object and in that moment and then experiencing it and feeling it and touching it and tasting it sometimes and um yeah absolutely definitely mouthing it yeah 
And those neural connections are just so much stronger. And although kids may seem to be learning well from flashcards, we just know that that knowledge isn't actually stored very well. Um, yeah it's amazing isn't it mm. and also it's just that whole idea because even like you said with the flashcard often that is something being imposed upon the child whereas something this is why I say to parents when they can be self-led in their play anything that they're going to be doing at that time is going to be absorbed far more same as us if someone's half doing a job for you you know even if you're learning on the job uh you don't, you know, you don't really absorb it as well as if you rocked up and no one was there and you had to just stumble mm. through it and it felt like, oh, that was, you know, didn't feel very comfortable. And that's what I often will say to parents. A lot of parents will say, oh, but my child, it's like they, <clears throat> you know, they really don't push through. And I often will say to parents, play is a work for the child. Play sometimes does take a little bit of effort and it's not that, you know, it's sort of like the conversation. Uh, if you consider doing a project at work and you finish the project even though it was hard how satisfying and fulfilling it is compared to if you just binge watch tv shows all night mm. it feels easier to sort of go and binge watch but having to work at something you don't ever get that same sense of satisfaction like you would in that way mm. and often send up the environment and even having some boundaries around um building in independent playtime for your child where you are going to say to them, oh, honey, I'm enjoying watching you, but mommy's just going to watch you now. And if you, even if they're a little bit frustrated by that, letting them push through and find that satisfaction mm. is just so powerful for them. And so we find that if we set the environment, what we do is we, we go to the science of um, the natural urges children do go through. There's eight of them. They're called play schemas. And we set up the environment based, basically making sure we've got one of each of those in the environment. And we simplify, like you said, we strip back. So a lot of the time you go into a home and we've all done it. And this is exactly what we had in our toy room is you have every toy you've ever bought in one space in the house shoved into little baskets that the child has to either pull out and dump out. And, you know, and that half the time that's demo, like demotivates them anyways. But yeah, we just have these ways where we present the environment, really invite play uh, using those play schemas. And parents love it as well because they just feel like their homes are just a bit more decluttered and organised. And it just promotes the child sort of to play and then even get messages how the little ones are confident packing up the things that belong in that one small basket. So it really has, yeah brought a lot of benefits to the whole family unit so we love it mm, I guess it's like if you go food shopping with a shopping list and you feel less stressed because you just you know you know what you need whereas when you yeah. go without a shopping list and you end up with a shopping trolley full of things you don't that's need. the same thing I said to parents as well the way we set up the toys is there's even an art in how you present toys because what we'll do for instance say you've got a stacker and often people will just put a stacker on the shelf what we do is say take all the rings off the stacker and put it in the, the rings in a small basket next to the, the pole and as simple as that seems it actually invites a child to come and use the object in a way that it's seen it sat there fully made would it inspire the same play and and we group things together that will support them to experiment or explore further for instance i was saying to parents you know um what's that little recipe box that gets delivered that's become popular um 
I can't remember like the name Hello of it. Fresh and yeah, HelloFresh. So yeah. <laughs> things like that. Think about that. So that's taking away, um, that can motivate. I know personally when we've gone through periods where mm-hmm. life's busy and chaotic, mm-hmm. having that arrive in my door will motivate me to cook that meal because the little bits are all set aside for me ready to go. Mm-hmm. Whereas thinking I'll make that meal but needing to go get all the ingredients and then yeah. get them out the fridge and then, yeah, I just thought, let's order Uber. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just, so it's just, it's the same for children. We actually operate, our brains operate very similarly to them. And same as with our office spaces. If we had, I know when my office space is a bit cluttered and disorganized, I'm less likely to go in there and achieve much at all. Mm. Whereas when I know, okay, actually everything's in its place and I go in there, yeah, I'm much more likely to, yeah, actually accomplish something meaningful. Yes, yes. Um, and I love that you, right at the beginning there you said something about giving children time to be in their own head almost, and that's a yes. recommendation we make as well, that kids do need silence because we don't want them to work on one skill. We don't want them to work on speech and language full time because there's so many other skills that need to fall into place. Um, and silence just gives them that opportunity for those cognitive skills that are happening in their mind. Absolutely. And a part of my PhD, um, we talk a lot and a lot of the research going into it is around uh, reflective capacity in the parent. But a part of that is actually being able to value that children as young as infants have their own internal world. Mm. And as simple as that sounds, uh, you know, of course, we all have our own internal world, but to really realise that a baby, as young as they are, have their own intentions as well. Uh, and sometimes even loving parents, we can interrupt. So we often will say, observe first, even in responsive care, you could probably find that you'll meet their cue more accurately when you just pause to observe. You know, and I often use the example, even in babyhood, if your baby wakes, sometimes this parent agenda, like we've talked about, might say, baby's awake, I've got to attend to them. And then we sort of can go in, pick them up, start the feed, do, do all the jobs. But really sometimes the pause might give them five minutes to look out the window at light or, you know, it's just respectful, mm. respecting that children have their own internal world. And that's the same with play. Sometimes lovingly we see um, them just trying to do something with blocks and we think, oh, lovingly, I'm going to go in and, you know, show them or build next to them or model. And and sometimes that can interrupt something else that was going to happen or mm. interrupt their process. And I found myself feeling less and less stressed even as a parent when I would just stop to observe and see what unfolded mm. uh, with my little ones. Uh, and just, yeah, and sometimes it was completely different from what you thought or sometimes letting them feel that a little bit frustrated but I do find, yeah, as loving parents, we can be sometimes just need to hold ourselves back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the toy sort and set is something that you offer online as well. Is that right? Yeah, especially through COVID, um, the, that COVID-19 period is is we sort of just started to say, you know, because a lot of people over East and that have requested it as well. Mm. we've been able to talk through and especially with zoom and things like that now sometimes it is just a case of you you know as a mum, you might read an article and go oh you know I'm definitely going to get on top of that and it's just really really hard to find the time and the motivation yourself Mm. especially if you don't know how do I 
store these toys in a logical way and how do I then rotate them? It can be really tricky. So we just talk through and guide and even like physically they can hold up a toy and we can talk about whether that serves the child or not and in what ways. So yeah, parents have found that really helpful. And we've got a team of early childhood educators who are all trained in the same uh, sort of sequential approach we take. Mm -hmm. And then we also do go into homes at the moment in Perth WA, uh, but certainly looking to expand that because of how, like I said, how beneficial it has been because it's such a practical way of putting in place some of the broader principles that we really believe in with the early years. Yeah, and I guess that process gives you the opportunity to talk about other things almost embedded in talking about toys. Absolutely, definitely. And it's probably similar to how you find, Alex, when you're talk, talking about speech, that other principles start to govern the reasons that we say mm. those things. And similarly, we actually do run natural play and parenting classes in Perth WA, where again, we it's all about um, the parents for, for infants and toddlers sit around in a circle on a little mat. And we say to the parents, your job is to sit and stay sitting, <laughs> which is quite different from a lot of other activities that you go to with your child. Mm. Um, but the benefit of this is we talk about even, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the circle of security, but they often talk mm. about the parent being the home base. Mm -hmm. And we say to them, you don't need to coerce your child to start playing with anything. I just want them to, you to sit them in front of you. And as they feel ready, they can leave your side. And as they feel the need they'll come home and touch base and parents find it so fascinating in that space how they notice their child does actually go explore and then come back and touch base mm. and often touching base at home say for instance we're washing dishes and we think they're playing by themselves and they come to our legs often as parents we think oh they're having a hard time playing and we start to fix but often they just touch in base and if we leave, you know, oh, yeah, you're having a cuddle with mummy, you know, or whatever, they'll often return to what they were doing if they just get that sort of connection. But often I find it's, yeah, so it's really, we find those classes fascinating and then we just facilitate really interesting things in the class as well. Like we'll ask the parents to stay seated and if there's a toddler conflict, we'll often facilitate with our language the way we would, uh, yeah, use reflective language to let them see how it can look because again that's holding back the parent agenda of wanting to you know grab your child and move them away from the conflict um obviously we'll block any hits and things like that mm -hmm. but it's more about letting them see that it can actually be simple and we don't have to always be yeah over over intervening i think mm -hmm. for this space to just learn and grow mm -hmm. for the little ones yeah, I, I mean, I find I'm quite grateful that I have my two girls. I do have a little boy as well. He's 18 months, but he hasn't quite, um, doesn't fight Join back or anything yet. He just kind yeah, of does yeah. his own thing. Um, I've heard with third bonds. I'm interested to see what happens this time around. But yeah, I've heard. They're sort of just like, yeah, you guys do your thing. I'm just yeah, chilling over here. He actually hates drama. If there's drama between the two girls, he just disappears into another room. and Maybe it's a male thing. Room. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Get away from the cat fights. Uh, well, Mandy, it just sounds like you're doing really amazing things. Um, oh, thank you. So I'll be popping the links up in uh, the podcast notes for this episode and also on um, my website so that people can access them. Um, and something I didn't tell you, but I'll, I'll throw at you now, is that um, I love for there to be some links to references um, 
if for parents that would love to learn more. So if you do have some Absolutely. really valuable ones that you just think um, are great or even a book, um, if you yeah, send those sure. through, I'll pop them up um, as links. But um, but where can people find you? Um, yeah, absolutely. So I'm mostly probably interactive on um, Instagram at Raise Early Years and also on Facebook at Raise Early Years as well. And you can just look at my website as well at www.raiseearlyyears.com and all our services and things um, and lots of little workshops like my passion, as you can hear, is that toddlerhood phase and the play. Mm. So I've got a lot of sort of on-demand workshops where you can get that real foundation and deeper understanding, I guess, like I said, of what is happening in toddlerhood and things like that, which I certainly, me and my husband often say, if we could find what I've come to realise now, back when our firstborn was around 10 months, I would give the world for that because even though, yes, you know, we learn on the go and I'm sure all of us do, who we can't really backtrack and say, oh, you know, wish I'd done better. But I just felt like I would have enjoyed it more and probably been less stressed and less Googling as much other psychopath <laughs> and stuff like that. So that would have been really helpful. Yeah, I get that. Oh, well, Mandy, thank you so much for joining me today. No worries. Thanks for having me. It was lovely to chat through everything. Mm, and I'm sure my listeners are really going to just have so much food for thought and um, and. I mean, Mamas Mandy is just full of information. So definitely go and take a look um, over on her website or even just on her Instagram. She um, offers so much information um, and hopefully you can learn with us. Thank you so much for listening today. Did you learn something new, Mama? I would love for you to subscribe if you haven't already and rate and review while you're there. But while I've got you, I want to know who would you like to hear from or what topics do you want to know more about? Drop me a DM over on Instagram at Alex Tricolo. Until next time, have a lovely week.